I'm Jane Palmer. And I'm Joel Parker. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, March 24th, 2015. Coming up, we have Dr. Stephen Anstrup, the Chief Scientist for Polar Bears International, talking about why, even in the state of Colorado, we should be concerned about the plight of polar bears. And we talk with Dr. Josh Lawler from the University of Washington about the More Than Scientists project. Let's start with a report from How on Earth's Susan Moran. Climate change is real. We humans are causing much of it. And we have the tools to do a lot about it. No doubt you've heard this message and these facts a lot by now, but maybe not so much from climate scientists themselves, as they tend to steer clear of keeping out of being called activists. Well, that's sort of changing. Many climate scientists are stepping out of the research comfort zone to offer personal accounts of why they care and what we can all do about the looming crisis. A group of scientists launched a national video campaign last week. It's called More Than Scientists. Josh Lawler is one of the founders of the campaign. He's an assistant professor of sustainable resource management at the University of Washington, and he's on the line from his office in Seattle. Welcome to the show, Josh. Hi, Susan. Thank you. So maybe start, just give us um, more of a sense of what is this campaign called More Than Scientists, and and what prompted it? Sure. Um, More Than Scientists is an effort to document how scientists uh, think and feel about climate change. It's um, it's a web-based project, and it's resulted in a collection so far of over 200 different videos um, that show scientists talking about climate change and, and what it means to them. Uh, the videos are all up on the site, morethanscientists.org. And, I mean, maybe it's no surprise that it comes now in these really polarized times in the U.S. Is the campaign in part a political statement or an attempt to depoliticize or defuse this so-called climate change debate? No, it's really more of an attempt to put a, um, a human face on climate change. Uh, we often think of scientists as... Um, kind of geeky, sometimes cold, calculating, objective people. Um, and, and that stereotype, it, while it may hold for a couple scientists, it's, it's, definitely not, it's definitely not the way all scientists are. Um, they're not all Dr. Spock in a lab coat, for example. <laughs> and but, you um, are so, one of them. How does this play into sort of your research and your, your personal concerns? Um, so I'm a biologist, and... I study how climate change is likely to affect plants and animals. Um, and so I have a good idea of how the natural world is going to change as the climate changes. And, and I've been, for as long as I've been studying it, I've been concerned about that. But, um, but where it really comes home for me is the fact that I have two little kids. And I know that those kids uh, now age five and eight are going to grow up in a world that's very different than this one. Uh, and And I'd like to try to make that world as comfortable and um, as good for them as possible. Yeah, so whom is the campaign targeting, really? I know you said they're videos. These are short videos that a lot of scientists have created and, and put up on this website. Is it the general public? Is it more politicians? Anyone who wants to see them? Yeah, the, um, yeah, the campaign is really aimed at sort of the general public. Um, and in addition to putting a human face on, on climate change and on climate science, 
uh, it's really aimed at giving scientists a voice and a safe platform to talk to the public. Because um, as you said in your introduction, scientists aren't, um, aren't generally comfortable uh, taking a stand or talking out, but this, this project allows them to do that in a way that they're comfortable with, to use their own voice and, and to talk about climate change in, in the way they want. Yeah, and here in Colorado, in fact, right here in the Front Range, we've got NOAA, we've got the National Center for Atmospheric Research. I don't see that there are any of scientists here or based here who are part of at least the founding team, but are, are any getting involved as far as you know? Um, I don't know if they are. So the, um, you're right, the project was founded in Seattle uh, by, um, by a guy named Eric Michaelman uh, and, a, and a handful of climate scientists at the University of Washington. Um, but it quickly spread, and Eric took it around the country and collected videos from scientists. Um, the, I know some at MIT and others on the East Coast. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see some um, from Colorado, from NCAR, and um, other groups in Colorado as well. Well, thank you so much. We'll be following it. That was Josh Lawler, Assistant Professor of Sustainable Resource Management at the University of Washington. And as he said, check out More Than Scientist campaign at www.morethanscientist.org. Thanks a lot, Josh. Uh, thanks, Susan. I'm a polar bear and my name is Bjorn And I've been a polar bear since the day I was born Welcome to my kingdom and the world that I roam A circumpolar arctic, a place that I call home They call me Nanook, a nurse's maritimus Two hundred thousand years of evolution helped design us With small ears, a thick coat, and a bread at his jaws And a layer of fat just to keep us warm Is it only me or do you? Do you get the While we're watching the sun going down Someone's turning up the central heating You're listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Jane Palmer. It's well known that right now, life for polar bears looks bleak. Warming temperatures means the season for sea ice cover in the Arctic has become shorter and shorter. And as sea ice provides a home and hunting ground for polar bears, both the number of bears and their health has suffered. There's even talk of them being co- becoming extinct. But is this something we should worry about in Colorado? We don't have bears right now, we don't have ice, and we have plenty of other concerns. Dr. Stephen Anstrup, the chief scientist for Polar Bears International, believes it is. He thinks that polar bears are the sentinels of global health and that they provide advance warning of some of the challenges coming to all species. That includes us humans. But he thinks if we act soon, we can save both the bears and ourselves. He's here to talk to us today about polar bears, their future, and how to address climate change. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you very much, Jane. First of all, Steve, could you give us a little bit of background about yourself? Because you were essentially a scientist before becoming a professional outreach individual and joining Polar Bear International, weren't you? Yes, that's right. I spent 30 years as the project leader for polar bear studies in Alaska, working for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and uh, the U.S. Geological Survey. And prior to that, I actually was a research scientist working in Wyoming, studying pronghorn antelope and sharp-tailed grouse. So I've been a researcher for most of my life. 
Right. And when you were working primarily as a scientist, polar bears were declared a threatened species. And I believe you were in part involved in that. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes. uh, The Secretary of Interior, Dirk Kempthorne, uh, asked our lab um, at the USGS in Anchorage to uh, give him a picture of what the future for polar bears might be. This was in 2007. And over a six-month period, uh, we gathered a team together that included a number of scientists uh, from outside the government, outside the USGS, as well as our core group at the USGS in Anchorage. And we put together nine reports uh, during that, the course of that uh, six-month period. And the uh, culmination of those reports was uh, my, my prognosis that we could lose two-thirds of the world's polar bears by the middle of this century and potentially lose them all by the end of the century if we didn't change our greenhouse gas emissions path. And based largely on those recommendations and other information that was out there, Secretary Kim Thorne uh, declared polar bears a threatened species in the spring of 2008. Spring of 2008, and this is seven years on. How, how much has that played out? I mean, I know it's only seven years, so it's hard to tell, but are we losing polar well, bears? Well, uh, there's, I think, two parts of the answer to that question. First, how uh, we have responded to the act uh, and the listing of polar bears uh, has been a, a big disappointment in that uh, our uh, information made it very clear that the principal threat to polar bears was uh, rising concentrations of CO2 and other greenhouse gases in the atmosphere that were causing the world to warm and polar bear habitat to melt. And thus far, we've done essentially nothing to address that issue. Uh, There has been, as a result of the listing, a great deal of uh, attention brought to polar bears. And so it's my hope that that attention will still get us to the point where we get the the, the necessary actions. So you made this move to work for Polar Bears International. Why why exactly did you transfer from being a full-time scientist to working for Polar Bears International? Well, my whole career had been... uh, you know, based on the curiosity of how things work and how I could collect data that might help make the world better. But by 2010, I had realized that we already knew the answer to the question, what do we need to do to save polar bears? And that certainly there were lots of other research questions that we could answer, but we knew the answer to the most important one. And I felt that what was really needed at that point was to become a more effective voice at telling the public and policymakers what that answer is. Right. So right now, how are polar bears doing? How, you're monitoring them. What is the general state? Because I actually heard that in some regions, polar bears are thriving. Is that true? Yeah, it's, a, it's important to recognize that polar bears occur in 19 separate subpopulations throughout the whole of, of the uh, Arctic region that's covered by sea ice. And so uh, we wouldn't ever expect all of the bears in that whole major area to be affected in the same way or at the same time. And so what we see is that... Uh, uh, some populations, uh, for example, the one in, in Alaska that I studied for 30 years, 
uh, is not doing very well at all. Uh, we recently put out a, a major publication showing that uh, the southern Beaufort Sea population had declined 40% in the last decade. Uh, the southern Hudson Bay, uh, southern or western Hudson Bay population, rather, also uh, has been declining over the last several decades. Uh, other populations in the far north of the polar bear range may actually be doing pretty well right now. But there's a big sort of if related to that, and that is that uh, we don't really know very much about most of the polar bear populations. In fact, uh, of the 19 designated subpopulations, 10 of them are listed as too data deficient for us to actually say what their status is. So when people say, well, polar bears in many areas are thriving, well, there may be some observations that suggest that, but on the other hand, we don't really know. And I think there's one other important point is that uh, many of the observations that uh, you'll hear about in, in some media circles suggesting that polar bears in some areas are thriving are based on observations of more bears being seen in places where they weren't previously seen. And typically these are small uh, remote villages. And uh, uh, polar bears showing up in those villages oftentimes actually means that those bears are hungry and looking for an alternate food source. Now, if you're on the ground and you're suddenly seeing more bears, you might interpret that as, well, there are more bears out there. But in fact, it might be exactly the opposite, that uh, the bears are hungry, and so they're showing up in places where uh, they otherwise didn't have to go because they had enough food previously. You're listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Jane Palmer, and we're talking with Dr. Stephen Anstrup, the Chief Scientist for Polar Bears International about why, even in the state of Colorado, we should be concerned about the plight of polar bears. The threat to polar bears is a very Arctic-centric issue. Is there any reason why people in Colorado should care about polar bears, or people anywhere for that matter? Yes. Um, this uh, issue of global warming, the uh, uh, human impact that we're having on polar bears, goes well beyond polar bears. It sort of turns our normal conservation model for wildlife on its head. Uh, we've always felt like if there was an endangered species or an endangered piece of habitat, we could protect it by building a fence. But we can't build a fence to protect the sea ice from rising temperatures, nor can we uh, build a fence to protect the high altitudes above uh, uh, Colorado, uh, in, in the mountains of Colorado, from rising temperatures either. Just as uh, the range of the polar bear is shrinking ever more towards the North Pole, the ranges of many species that live in mountainous regions are shrinking towards the mountaintops. And ultimately, if we allow the world to continue to warm, the habitat that's suitable will be unavailable because the temperatures that allow that habitat to exist will be above the tops of the mountains. Uh, polar bears may have become the fuzzy face of climate change, but they are just one representative of uh, the plight that all species are facing. And that includes humans. You believe that climate change has a threat to humans also? Oh, that's absolutely right. I mean, uh, 
global warming is as much a humanitarian issue as it is a conservation issue. And, in fact, the two are very much intertwined. Uh, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, has a ranking system for uh, uh, pro projected threats, unlikely, very likely, uh, uh, virtually certain. Well, one of the things that we know is that if we add up all of the threats from uh, climate change, that human hunger is virtually certain to increase. So that's a direct threat to humans, and the humans that are most uh, that are soonest and most severely likely to be affected are those that live closest to the land, to the land, and have the most modest of means. Now, how is that linked to conservation? Well, we know from history that hungry people can't do conservation. So it's all balled up together. It's not just about polar bears. It's about all of us. Right. So what are you hoping to do when you actually talk to people about polar bears? I mean, are they some sort of marketing tool in some way? <laughs> Well, polar bears are, uh, you know, polar bears have clearly captured the human imagination, and people care about polar bears. And because polar bears live on a habitat that literally melts as the temperature rises, it's easy to point out what the effect of a warming world is. Now, if we can point out what the effects are and get people to focus on that, maybe we can get them also to realize that, hey, this isn't just about them. They're just an example, and I need to do something about it. Uh, polar bear conservation and conservation in general really now involves all of us changing the way that we live, changing our personal habits, and also changing the products that we buy in stores and who we vote for in the, the, balance, uh, in the voting booth. Do you think people have become a little complacent about climate change, that they don't think it's much of a problem? I think there's a part of, uh, uh, of the populace that is complacent. Uh, and I think part of that is because much of, of the news about climate change has been cast in, a, in, in the sense of a future threat. But actually, the most recent scientific studies have shown that the, the greatest impacts of uh, CO2 emissions are felt within 10 years of uh, when those emissions come out. So this really isn't just about our children and grandchildren. It's actually about us. Uh, but I think a lot of people don't really get that, and so they think, well, you know, maybe it is a problem, but it'll be a problem that uh, future generations will have to deal with. Uh, of course, that's not really true, because if we don't deal with it now, uh, we will dramatically reduce the ability of future generations to do so. I think there's another problem, too. It. It's not so much complacency. is that people often think that it's such a big issue that uh, they don't know what to do. And I think that's something that we really can help with. Because, uh, for example, a recent study showed that if everybody living in the United States did what they could within their own household, to reduce their uh, uh, energy use, that we could save as much greenhouse gas emissions as currently put out by the whole country of France. Now, that sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. But the other side of that is that uh, we couldn't possibly do that without 
leadership from the government. And uh, that's really what it boils down to, is that we all need to do the best that we can to reduce emissions, and then we need to get our leaders to set the right path. Right, so it's both personal changes and pushing for policy changes as well. Um, so back, back to polar bears, what do you think is the most important thing we could do, really, to save the species right now? Because if they are threatened... Well, our work and, and actually a couple of new papers that have just come out have uh, verified this. Uh, there are some things that can be done for polar bears on the ground that will help in a transient sense. But it's pretty clear that if we don't reduce our uh, greenhouse gas emissions, that polar bears will ultimately disappear. So the most important thing is to get our act together, get our leaders together to take us on a path uh, towards sustainable energy economy. So that, that does sound pretty dire. I mean, really, is there, do you see any hope for polar bears? Absolutely. And I think this is really important that uh, the problem is not insoluble. This is a human-caused problem, and we know for quite some time what we need to do about it. Uh, there are numerous scientific articles out there describing how we can get on a different path. A really nice piece in Scientific American a few years ago uh, showing that if we followed these steps, we could get to a totally uh, sustainable uh, energy economy, get off of carbon within about 30 years. Uh, but it takes resolve to do that. What we need is something like uh, the Apollo program, where everybody gets behind it, says, uh, you know, instead of going to the moon, we're going to save the Earth. And uh, we can do that. And I actually think that we will do that. Oh, that's really hopeful. And you're giving a distinguished lecture on the CU campus April the 3rd. Do you hope to kind of infuse your audience with hope or just raise awareness? It's a combination. Uh, the first part of uh, inspiring action is to make sure that people understand the problem. So I'm going to be uh, talking a little bit about polar bears and the threats to them, the threats to some other species, including some animals that live in Colorado, and uh, also then uh, describing what we need to do to change them, describing the, uh, to change the, the challenges that these species face, uh, describe the problem, help people understand how global warming works, and then uh, show that there really is hope, that we do have time to change and uh, make a better world for not only polar bears, but uh, for ourselves as well. Thank you very much, Steve. Okay, that was Dr. Stephen Anstrup, the Chief Scientist for Polar Bears International. If you want to hear more about polar bears and climate change and see some cool polar bear pictures, Stephen Anstrup will give you a talk on the CU campus on the evening of April the 3rd. For more information, visit our website later today, www.howonearthradio.org. Thank you, Steve, again. Thank you. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Kendra Kruger. 
This week's show was produced and engineered by Joel Parker. Additional contributions by Susan Moran. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music was the Polar Bear Song by Tom Rugg. Questions and comments? Go to www.howonearthradio.org. I'm Jane Palmer. And I'm Joel Parker. <laughs>